Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the Logan Paul punk rock. It's Benny Horowitz. Ouch. Dude, that's that a compliment. That guy's making, that guy's get tons of views. I know, but wouldn't that mean that I uh, got famous like just a few years ago on the internet and became a punk rocker like four or five months ago? Eh, I, I, I don't <laughs> know. I think, I think that means that you sell a lot of merch you know you can have a seat at any business table you want i think that's a you know i think in these days it's high praise it's tough one i think that's a subtweet Ooh, early, i didn't mean early it early subtweet <laughs> in the episode early uh, but how's it going good i've been on a wormhole yeah. learning about how the horseshoe crab has saved our species oh my gosh how so well they have blue blood yeah that contains copper mm. and something in it uh the exo something something. So I'm not that smart, you know, are uh, the thing that we found that prevents people from getting hurt during injections, hmm. which used to be very, very, very risky about 100 years ago. Then we learned that the blood of a horseshoe crab synthesized in this way goes through a test. The vaccine goes through a test. And that's the only reason we can administer injections and vaccines as freely as we do. So. After 480 million years on the Earth, basically in the same form because it's perfect right. and they never get taken out. They've gone through five mass extinctions. <laughs> and now uh, we take baby horseshoe crabs and suck blood from them to help us have vaccines. That's So, so crazy. today has all been about big ups to the horseshoe crab. Oh, my God. I always save them on the beach when I see it. <laughs> when I see them flipped over, I always try to toss them back to the water. So. Maybe they like me. And that seems pretty kind of Freudian. It's like we save them, they save us. It's y'all, you know, the human race, man. Well, they're going to survive, and I'll tell you why. There's a species called generalists. Mm. So they don't really care about hot. They don't really care about cold. They don't care what they eat. They don't care where they live. Uh, and I think that's something that humans should maybe take a cue from. Yeah. They, uh, they just take what's given to them at whatever moment. And they don't really complain. And maybe that's why they've gotten through five mass extinctions. And we might kill them off. Wow. How about that? Well, you know, I was going to say that the best thing that I did this week was that I, I, I went to a live sporting event for the first time in, like, almost 18 months. Is that right? What did when, you say? When uh, Gotham FC, um, right. they, they play out at Montclair. And, you know, it was actually kind of cool. Everybody was masked up. People had, had a great time. We're six feet apart. And outside, yeah, man, it was cool. It was cool. It kind of felt weird to be back at a sporting event, though. It's funny, too, that you say Montclair State because, you know, for someone where I'm from, about 50% of my graduating class <laughs> went there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big ups. I'm glad. When do they get their own stadium? Uh, well, they're going to be playing at Red Bull Arena, which is, you know, it's a, it's a hop, skip, and, and a jump from here. Yeah, man. Great place, yeah. too. I love going there. Andy Diamond, old friend, <laughs> used to hook us up with the seats where you got, you know, like the shrimp tails <laughs> and the nice drinks and stuff. I've uh, This is the only way I could ever get my wife to go to games is when I get the <laughs> pimp seats, you know. And they used to play Hal, I think, when they scored a goal, or was that the Devils? Still the Devils. Oh, still the Devils. How about that? Your Eastern Conference, I think, fourth place, New Jersey Devils, right? That's right. I know that. Like I told well. you, if I 
if I decided to pander to hockey rather than the NBA, <laughs> I'd probably be actually getting somewhere, you know? <laughs> Should we just pivot this entire podcast to just hockey? Neither I mean, of us know anything about hockey. Just do it. Listen, <laughs> let's just – I'm an odds man, you know? And if you go straight odds and you go through an NBA roster and poll them on how many of them know Gaslight Anthem, <laughs> I think we might have less than a – a handful in the entire league, you yeah. know, some random JJ Reddick or like someone like that <laughs> might, I don't even know hockey. I think you're getting like one, a roster, you know? So yeah, yeah it would be a, a good smart move, but I'm not going to do that, Denny. Cause I don't like watching <laughs> hockey. I well, like watching hoops. I've always <laughs> been super curious about, by this. I know that uh, 45 <laughs> was on in the EA NHL game when I was in college and, and I would like always hear it and be like, wait a minute. How much do you think that like having your song in a video game like actually helps with distribution and like sales and shit? It's huge. Yeah. Especially a game like NHL. Like, mm. you know, I mean, I've played those EA sports games a bunch and you can't get through like six months of playing one of those games without yeah. <laughs> knowing every word and every moment of every song because you had just heard them multiple times a day right. every day for the last six months you even start to like songs kind of sometimes a song comes on the radio and i'm like wait why do i kind of like this awful song oh yeah it's from madden 2004 you know or like some bullshit like that so yeah it plays a big role i i remember we were on uh skate two that was the first time we did something like that and a lot i definitely got a lot of feedback from that and then the yeah the hockey i think we're kind of like tied into hockey I think we might even be coming into the next one as well. Wow. How about that? Look at yeah. this. I like always remember the NBA live, uh, 2005 soundtrack. Uh, that was very impressionable, but yeah, they stick in there. I mean, <laughs> anything you can play to someone dozens and dozens of times, you're going to, you're going to start to have yeah. some weird appeal for it just from memory. It's, it's a strange instinct, you know, I think we should put the, the right. tune up theme song on, uh, on. Yeah, a, there you go. A, 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 That's a, why so. soon I'm going to be like the old man in the car <laughs> blasting like eighties radio stations, <laughs> like explaining, you know, how Asia got together to my poor kids <laughs> who are not going to care at all. It's definitely coming around the corner. And you're going to want your uh, talk radio segments to be 15 minutes. Anyway, speaking of timing, let's get into this day in music history. All right. I'm doing it yet again. I'm almost certain I did this this time last year, <laughs> and I don't care because of last week, I need to pay the rock and roll gods some tokens so they don't <laughs> strike it upon me in 1976 the ramones debut mm. came out on this day 14 songs in less than an hour very unusual for that time recorded at plaza studios in manhattan most records of the times for major artists were you know already getting into like half a million dollars mm. ramones made this record for 6400 dollars. they were in the time of you know, spandex and makeup and David Bowie and disco and all this stuff going on in the mainstream. And here come shaggy dudes from Queens in blue jeans, white t-shirt, oh, look at black you. leather jackets, you did like cool as fuck. Basically, you know, spurning decades and generations of garage bands and punk rockers. The uh, album holds up really well. It's still great. Joey Ramone is at this point, one of the best pop 
writers in uh in history, I yeah. would say. And after 38 years in 2014, it finally racked up 500,000 copies. And uh, yeah, big ups to the Ramones on this day. One of my favorites. I wouldn't be here without it, you know? It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Well, if we're going to keep it with people that we ride for on, on this podcast, Benny, I'm going to keep it all the way 100 with this. On this day in 1987, apparently... My girl, Carol King, sued record company owner Lou Adler for breach of contract. Uh, King claimed that she was owed over 400 k in royalties. She also asked for all of the rights to her old recordings. Now, this is where this got interesting. So I, I saw the story, tried to do more digging, and I could find no indication on the Internet what happened with this. So I don't know if, if Carol King NDA. got the 400 k and all of her old, old recordings. If she did, that makes a lot of sense what's happened after. Wow, you own so much Carol King stuff. I don't understand it myself because I'm not that big of a Carol King fan, but we did that, and, and I just doubled down. I'm just double down Trent over That's here. It. Hey, listen, <laughs> there's worse people to tie yourself to. <laughs> All right, Benny, since we're on, on the topic of music, let's get right into it. So thousands of music venues across the country have been waiting in anticipation uh, to get their loan payment from the government. These small Business Administration opened a program uh, to give relief to music venues. The initiative is supposed to be $16 billion meant to offer grants to concert halls, theaters, and museums. This was supposed to happen on April 8th, but they have yet to get the payment. Um, an SBA spokeswoman said on Friday that the agency was working to test the application's portal functionality, uh, aiming to reopen it by the end of next week. Some of these venues need this funding to get the concert season started for this year. So, Benny, break this all down for us. If these venues don't have money to get the operating costs for this summer, what does this mean for everyone hoping to get back to a concert this year? It hurts it greatly. Mm. I mean, one thing people got to realize is you don't just book an artist, wait for them to come, and all the business transaction takes place that day. The day you book an artist and you sign a contract with especially bigger artists or headlining bands, the ones that you probably want to go see, the venues or promotion company or somebody involved is paying half of the guarantee up front as a deposit, that, maybe not half, but a large portion and a significant amount of money. So when you see these gray concert schedules, uh, you know, for months ahead, those shows are paid for. And mm. there's like a lot of money already on the table. And that's why when this first happened, you saw people not just being like, all right, my tour is canceled. It was my tour is delayed. And it's because there was already a lot of financial transactions that happened that are hard to rescind. So for bigger venues and stuff like that, it really hurts. And then for the smaller venues that are banking on, you know, more DIY stuff or even just bar bands or things like that, they have operating costs too, even on a much smaller level. And those are the ones that you're really seeing like tumble left and right. I mean, I feel like on social media, I'm getting hit up about, uh, you know, some place I played at some point over time in a different city that that didn't make it through this. Like mm -hmm. America lost a lot of great DIY venues. And doubly on top of that is that all these bands looking to get back out there are doing it at the same time. This is happening in the arts, too. Apparently, mm -hmm. you can't get a gallery booked until 2023 already. Wow. Um, so there's this sort of mad rush 
to do something you don't even know if you can do yet. Um, and it's going to be much more limited. I think bands who are banking on headlining tours and getting out there and making their nut off the road are going to have an interesting couple years because it's, it's kind of like the Wild West out there. So I think the biggest thing to take from this is the idea that this money didn't go through yet because the arts to most people are not considered vital. You know, they're not considered one of these vital industries that like needs to be kept going during something like this. And some others are. I'd like to disagree. I think, you know, the arts are incredibly vital at a time like this, especially. And uh, it's not the place you should be taken away from. So if you ask me, you should, uh, you know, melt down six F three fifty two B fighters and uh, keep a bunch of venues open in the U.S. Yeah, right. That's what I would like to see. If only it was that simple, because it seems like there have been a lot of different initiatives pushed through by uh, this current presidential administration. Small business, and it, it, it's odd to, to see the Democrats not exactly reaching out their hand to people in need, but uh, um, restaurants, businesses, all these movie theaters definitely look like they need a lot of help. Maybe not the big chain ones like your AMC, like they'll, they'll always be fine, but it's always the independent artists that kind of get... Uh, the short end of the stick here. Yeah, I mean, well, you don't see fucking Applebee's closing down yeah. all over America and stuff. Like, I'm sure they got their cut. Yeah. But, you know, some mom and pop grill who doesn't necessarily know how to neck the system, like the lawyers and attorneys at whoever the fuck owns Applebee's. Yeah. You know, so it, it's all playing into the... I mean, we're seeing this playing out time and time again, is that just... The things that are attached to big money, big power, corporate structure right now, they're going to be fine. And it's and it's the little people that are uh, that are getting fucked. If TB12 can get a grant, anybody should be able to get a grant. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, Benny, well, thank you for that perfect segue here. Well, speaking of little people getting fucked, and I think you know exactly where I'm going here. Uh, this past week, Americans almost ruined international soccer. Uh, 12 <laughs> clubs, including Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, Inter, and Juventus wanted to break away from UEFA to create their own closed NFL-esque league uh, for the top clubs in Europe. They wanted to call it the Super League. However, the whole thing lasted almost a little more than 48 hours. Um, these clubs were each expected to get a $400 million payday under uh, the guise of creating this thing. They used the pandemic as a reason to start this. The league that spearheaded this, uh, the Real Madrid and Barcelona, who kind of <laughs> due to their own inefficiencies, uh, are running at a $300 million deficit. Uh, this move was questionable for the teams in the Premier League, who Currently, the EPL is negotiating their own uh, TV packages, both domestically and internationally. So that kind of screwed them here. So, Benny, there's a lot of different business angles here. But from a competitive angle, you like this? Yeah. So, you know, I know if I've been anything so far in this program, it's been consistent that I'm usually anti-big business. Yeah. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways. And I appreciate the little man. And I'm always, almost always fighting for him. But I'm also a sports fan. Mm. And I view sports as entertainment. And I gave up a long time ago that the thing I'm dealing with here is is anywhere regarding altruism or, uh, you know, helping the fans. You know, at any point, at any team I've ever rooted for, if they got better, it got more expensive mm. to root for that team. 
And it's nothing but a gigantic capitalistic enterprise. So I can't understand how an adult sports fan doesn't see that anymore and takes this thing like, ah, I can't believe the league is doing that to me. The team is doing that to me. How many times do these companies have to act in their own best interest for you to understand what you're watching? I don't know. So that's where there's my utter lack of surprise, first off, and the mm. fact that this happened. It's also the way the fucking Premier League started, which is yeah. something people seem to forget. It was a breakaway league that took a bunch of teams and consolidated it. Now, one thing, as an outsider, I've always, like, I'm, I haven't been super invested into, into European football until I started traveling over there. I, I never really had a team. I don't follow it day to day. And I've always been confused as a sort of marginal fan at, like, wait, who won what? Hmm. Yeah. Did you win this league? Oh, now you're in this one playing teams from other countries but there's only like one from that other country. So are they actually the best one? And I don't like the fact that there's no like clear cut champion. Mm. Um, And I think it would be a lot easier to digest, especially for like international audiences outside of probably like England and central Europe that might want to see something like this. Like, you know, it's starting with 12 teams, uh, but all these other ones will trickle over, you know, your Everton's will be on soon. You're, Paris St. Germain's will be on soon. Then, you know, imagine these other clubs from uh, different countries who decide to invest a little money, bring in a big player. Maybe you can get into this (laughs) thing. And all of a sudden, this team represents your country even more than like the World Cup does. You know, so yeah, call me a capitalist, but like I would like to see Real Madrid and Manchester United play six times within three months every year. Because they're in the same division competing, you know, um, and I, I think uh, I understand the trickle down for these smaller teams. But the thing is, like, they're completely relying on revenue sharing and they've been doing it forever. And if there's one thing I've been consistent about on this show is that I don't support the leagues. I support the players and the players make up the teams. Now, if you created a league like this. Wouldn't that also open the door for like three of the best players in the world to organize with each other and try to play on the same team and create like, you know, football super teams and all the fucking crazy dirty shit that Americans do that kind of make our sports fun. So I, you know, I understand, I think I understand the trickle down and I know a lot of smaller teams and a lot of places would suffer, but I'm a problem solver, Denny. I thought of something for that. Now, how did the U.S. capitalize on youth sports? They made people pay to play. They created the NCAA, (laughs) right? (laughs) They created a different business separate from the other businesses to exploit youth sports Mm. or young adult sports. Now, I know for football, sometimes these guys started about, you know, 16, uh, why don't you take some of the teams that are now struggling as a result of the Super League and start a youth league, 16 to 21? And all these smaller cities have these teams, and you have your own championships and a different tournament for that. And then these guys get famous in there, and they get updrafted to the Super League. It's perfect. Oh, Benny. See, it's like, okay, 
in the same. So what am I missing? What am I missing? You're missing the fact that I think <laughs> that we, if this was an American thing, right? Yeah. And 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 this was say I don't know, say a bunch of NBA players were like, you know, we're gonna start our new league, ABA oh, 2.0. Hate it. I right. hate it. But the thing over there is like. If these guys are, if if the big clubs are going to use the Premier League as as like a way to like rest their players, then the TV money is going to go way down. I mean, we've seen this in, in college sports over here. You have a college like UConn that was in Big East, big time money. Now, uh, then they were in the American Athletic Conference, and the entire athletic budget gets shrunk. And then you have to cut programs, and that's exactly right. what's going to happen because but what over about there, as a fan. That's the thing I don't understand. Like, like, are we really advocating to, 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 okay, let's make sure that Norwich versus Wolverhampton is on TV today when these fucking two amazing teams are playing a beautiful entertainment That's because we're not from there. I'd rather see. I get that, but that's like, okay, England is a pretty small place, okay? Yeah. 14 of the 20 owners are already foreign in that league. You know, so it's like, what are we even talking about in that regard? Like, I understand. I mean, but it's happened here, too. Right. The team that I'm a fan of was part of the ABA. That's the last championship (laughs) we won that dissolved into this other league. You know, like this happens all the time. And I just like uh, I think it's an inevitability. Mm. Uh, I think something like this is definitely going to happen. And I think someone like me who is the marginal outside fan, they're going to try to bring in in a different sort of way and, and have these championship games and stuff that, you know, pale the Super Bowl or something like pales in comparison to. So I think it's, it's just going to happen and uh, you need to adapt or die at this point. I think the only thing, the only thing that I think is bad about it is, you know, for, for, for the owners, right, of, of these big-time teams, like, if you have a bad year and say, God, I don't know, say if, like, Arsenal gets relegated to, like, the championship and they lose out on a lot of money, this, that will bring the valuation of, of that club way down. But then that gives, like, another club a chance there. So I don't know. It's, That's right. It's, so then. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you make the same rules. You, you relegate. Real Madrid, if they're not playing well in the but, Super League, but that's they, you, but that's not what's going to happen. It's it, it's a closed league like like the NFL. Right, so right. So next thing you know, like Tottenham will have like the first pick in the 2022 Super Draft and take Lamelo Ball Jr. I mean, there's going to be expansion. <laughs> yeah, it's we'll g- maybe got like a one of the maybe one of the MLS teams will join. Yeah, I mean, now it'll be. I don't know. It sounds like fun to me. It. I like on. fun. It's. It sounds fucking fun. Like I'm not disputing that at all. I'm I'm just saying I feel for these small towns over there that know. you know that that may be their one stream of tourism. It's true. I've been to so yeah. many of these places. Literally, I got the first time I went to England, I got a big chunk of hash <laughs> wrapped in a Southampton FC ticket because I was partying <laughs> with those dudes at the random bar I played and after a game. Like I, I've I've been there with yeah. the rowdies. I get it. They're they're diehards. They'll still have their teams. You know, they just (sighs) got to deal with the fact that like, sorry, like you live three hours north of London and not everyone gets a gigantic team anymore. You know, you'd have your smaller team. That's cold. That's cold, Benny. That's cool. Anyway, well, Benny, do you want to talk about small teams next? Do you want to talk about small time teams that are making a miraculous Cinderella story right now? 
You can talk about the New York Knicks? Yeah, oh, we're talking about the New York Knicks. Winners of eight straight after beating uh, the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday night at Madison Square Garden. Arguably the biggest game at MSG since 2013 and all of that stuff. Tom Thibodeau has him going in the right direction. Julius Randle out here looking like a borderline MVP candidate. So right now, the New York Knicks in fourth place in position yeah. to get home court advantage in the playoffs. Benny, my big question to you here, and we can dive into this on smaller levels. Do you think the Knicks are going to get home court in the playoffs? I mean, that's to be determined. Yeah. I like that. You know, that's part of where just, just, I don't want to be come off right off like a Brooklyn Nets Homer or something just to establish this. Yeah. My father, my brother and Knicks fans, I like the Knicks. I root for the Knicks. The only time I do not is when they are directly playing the Nets. <laughs> so I'm not a Knicks hater, and anytime they're good, it's fun, and I will be the first to recognize that it's still New York's team. <laughs> Brooklyn has a lot of work to do. I've been to these stadiums. I get it. The Garden is a fucking shit show when the Knicks are good. <laughs> There's like it might be the most unique place to play a basketball game in the NBA when that team is good. And when they're good, it's one of the hardest places to play in the league because Knicks fans are nuts <laughs> and they're loyal and they're desperately hungry for some level of respect and success. So who can't blame them? They've won eight. I think Thibodeau should be in the conversation for coach of the year. Mm-hmm. I think Randall's almost a lock for most improved player. I don't know yeah. who should be over him. So Nothing but respect. But here's some reasons to slow our roll, okay? Mm-hmm. They're currently a four seed, but they're only a game and a half over the playing game. And quality-wise, I think they're still nowhere near the top three teams. Yeah. So the idea that a, a Heat, um, one of these teams, the Hawks, who are already above them, can, can jump up and uh, you know, knock them into the playing game is very reasonable. It, mm-hmm. It's only going to take a little two-game slide for that to happen. So they're not sitting pretty yet. Right. And even with this winning streak, they have a lot more winning to do to get that home uh, home court advantage. But they also they have some things that are troubling to me, which is you know great defense, obviously, but a mm-hmm. well below average offense. And when you watch them it does get stagnant. And a lot of times it's the Julius Randall show, which is working well, you know, but I don't think a Julius Randall ISO hmm. is going to get you where you need to go. Like in an actual real playoff matchup. Yeah. They're also 13 and 17 on the road and two and eight against the division with Philly and BK, obviously being uh, some teams they will have to get through. So yeah. I think, um, I think this is a lot of fun. <laughs> But I think they're still close enough to that playing game that something very nixy could still happen <laughs> yeah. uh, pretty easily. So I don't want people to get too excited because I don't want them <laughs> to get too disappointed, yeah. you know, when when it probably doesn't work out. Well, Sorry, this is just historical precedence yeah. here. But I also wonder, like, where does this team go from here? Because, yeah. you know, they're pretty maxed out in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, they're really going to need somebody else to come because Mm. they're going to be deep in the draft 
to uh, help him get to the next level. I'm not sure well, if that's going to happen. It could be Zion. Did you see oh, that press conference? I, I saw that. And, Benny, this offseason in particular, they got a lot of cap space. You know, Leon Rose, that CAA connection, you never know. But uh, before we look too far down the road, I just want to go over their schedule the rest of the way of the regular season. And, Benny, it's not exactly easy. They play the Suns twice. They mm. play the Nuggets. They play the Clippers once. They play the Lakers um, the Spurs, Celtics, and Hornets. So um, a, that is, let's see, that's like, as I do quick math here, that's about 10 games, I believe, left. They've got playoff quality opponents and, and, and some uh, contenders already in that thing. Yeah. So that that's going to be tough. Though, though, I think they'll be lucky to break 500 on that. And then next thing you know, you're in the 7 and, and 8 thing. They'll make the playoffs, right? Sure. But it's sure, 100% sure. going to be through the playoff, uh, through the play-in tournament, and last game of the season, this could be huge. Uh, Celtics Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that could have a lot of implications, considering. But I don't want to stop talking about this yet. Okay. Did you see Zion talking about uh, New York City at Madison Square Garden? He lit up. He lit up. He was glowing. <laughs> he really looked like he wanted to come. It's a- and I think he seems like a bright kid. Yeah. And I think he quickly realizes what New Orleans basketball culture is like. Mm-hmm. It's a football state. Yeah. He plays for a team called the Pelicans. <laughs> it's Smoothie King Arena. <laughs> and I don't think he knows and everyone knows they'll never get a big willing free agent to come to that place, yeah. regardless of playing there. So, I don't know. Has to be done. I think Zion's gone. I don't think he's going to be one of those cautionary tales. That was such a rookie mistake by him. I think he got caught up in everything. I, I don't know. He's good with that. He's like, <sighs> that's where... You know, I, I would say that for a lot of players, but Zion so far You're saying in the league he knew exactly been, what he was doing. He's been pretty calculated. He oh. has. He's been pretty smart about what he says since he was at Duke. Like Unless... he, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and I think he's pretty tempered. So I, I do I think wow. he put it out there. Yeah. So you're saying he you know, because he's he's been on JJ Reddick's podcast. You know, they they kind of became tight. He saw what happened with JJ and the the ill will, and they just kind of traded him on a a whim, not to where he wanted to go. After all of that time of being a good soldier, you're saying Zion is like David Griffin? Excuse me. Oh, you thought just because you drafted me, you could keep me for as long? Mm, Benny, this is very interesting. I like it. I love when we get like tinfoil hat Benny on the podcast, and 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 this is one of those days. Tea leaves, baby, tea leaves. <laughs> All right, Benny. Well, keeping it in New York, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of angling for that regional sports podcast, which apparently seems to be taking off. The New Thanks York. Me. <laughs> Benny, we're gonna head up to the Bronx now, uh, and the New York Yankees are off to their worst start since 1997. That year ended up all right. Um, a similar face has been in charge up there since that time. Uh, the old Brian Cashman. Um, and, you know, fans have, have kind of been advocating that, you know, maybe it's Ca- Cashman's past his prime with all of this. And, Benny, I know that you want to break down the baseball component of, of all of this, but I just think it's – I just kind of want to burn on uh, what's been happening with the Yankees since the Steinbrenner, since George passed, and it's been now on with the kids – uh, the kids, you know, they're they're into the team, but they're not like their dad, obviously. And I feel like we see that happen uh, when a family corporation is passed down from one generation to the other. But honestly, I think that they're scared 
to get rid of Brian Cashman. Um, it's like I know that he's he, because he was connected to the core four and that whole era. So um, in this era of baseball where GMs kind of control the manager, do you think that um, this whole thing, this terrible start, is because of Brian Cashman's poor management? Uh, it's interesting. I you know, I didn't think we would go right there off the bat, but, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and back every movie made going mm. into this season or the lack thereof going into this season. Um, there's been some questionable ones in the past years, but I think he's still here, not really on like the lack of gumption by the kids and more the fact that he has earned the the by track record there and i'm not even talking about the core four i mean you you give that that was back that's like scouts back in the you know early 90s that had very little to do with brian (laughs) cashman anyway um but you look at the kinds of contracts he gave to lemayu Mm -hmm. bringing him in Uh, a lot of people were tentative on doing that keeping him here um the amazing stuff he pulled off even though chapman ended up being an asshole but that trade was (laughs) a fucking miracle and what happened because of it we got glaber torres um so i think he has track record over the last uh five six years as well even though they haven't gotten over the hump and i don't think they're um quick to pull the trigger especially if there's no like you know theo epstein type character like sniffing around or something Mm. like a whole culture overhauler (laughs) or something um so no i don't think his job's in jeopardy quite yet but okay, so then let's get down to the field. Obviously, a, a lot's been made about the first base situation. But Benny, how would you fix the New York Yankees right now? Well, I I wait. Yeah, that's what I do, Danny. I'm old. <laughs> I've been I've been awoken and eager by early streaks before. I've been defeated by early slumps. Yeah, that have meant absolutely nothing. Way too many times. Yeah, to get worked up after 15 games. <laughs> Um, even if you go into analytics right now, the metrics support the idea that Yankees are hitting the ball hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, their suggested rates should be much higher and, you know, it's just bouncing a weird way. It's fucking baseball, man. Yeah. Um, the one thing I mentioned prior to the season, um, that is a concern and it's still a concern and it's not really working itself out is this rotation. Mm. Um, you know, of course, I'm going to give a little time to guys like Kluber and Italian to try to work into shape. But there is a huge, huge gap there around the fourth and fifth uh, spots in the rotation. And that is where I think you might see Brian Cashman try to get active at some point because mm. there is a gaping hole in the lineup and it's there. As far as the offense, I'm not that worried. Uh, mm. I think they have uh, a lot banking on great players. I think they have a lot banking on LeMayu, on Judge, on uh, Torres, and people I trust to to start hitting and breaking out of these slumps. Yeah, so I'm not too worried yet. One thing that's kind of strange and concerning, I saw a stat that the uh, Yankees are uh, the worst in baseball against fastballs 95 plus. Hmm. And being a bad fastball hitting team right now, especially this league this year, this is the wrong year to not be able to hit a fastball. Yeah. So if that's an actual real problem and that stat indicates something, that's kind of something interesting to look forward to. Well, not look forward to, but look into going into the season. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious here because 
it seems like this is the situation kind of similar to what was it the Nats in 2019 they come in labeled that they have this good rotation they struggle super early um and then kind of in like like the summer like the dog days the the rotation gets it squared away and they were a a similar they had similar offensive uh ratings to what this yankees team is they're hitting the ball hard they're they're making contact so it's and similar kind of aces you know they had those two aces uh the yankees very much in a similar situation so it's gonna be interesting to see I know it's so easy to get like worried about it, and it makes right. for good talking points. But and it's Yankees fans, yeah, who are who are nut jobs. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to this like my entire life. <laughs> like Yankees lose three games in a row, and all of a sudden, someone <laughs> from Sal from Staten Island is calling <laughs> in to the fan, just losing his fucking mind. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I've never understood it. It's baseball. It's so long. Yeah. The whole thing about baseball is like the slog. It's about waves. <laughs> it's about statistical progression over time. Like, I don't know, like being a baseball fan who gets that worked up, it must be an awful life. Yeah. It's too, six <laughs> nights of the week. It's just too much, too much to be that worked up. Baseball is a, it's a patient, patient game, you know, Aww. like just let it go. If, if we're having this same conversation a month from now, yeah, I'll take it a little more seriously. All right, Benny, final story today. Benny, the Oscars are this weekend. I know last year we had our guy Ben Lyons on. He came in. He he broke everything down. But the Oscars are a bit different this year. Uh, they're being held at the newly constructive, I, I, want, uh, I want to say it's called Union Station in L.A., Went underwent an eight-year transformation. This train station has been featured in a bunch of movies, but this year, because of COVID, they're taking it out of the Dolby Theater and into a place where they actually shot movies. Novel concept. So, Benny, as uh, America starts to come back to live events, people gathering, loving each other, doing things, what do you make of the Oscars taking their uh, previously stuffy ceremony out of the Dolby Theater, hitting it in, in, in the streets, and, you know, letting people enjoy the Oscars out and about on town. My first thought when I heard this was, wait, I'm like, L.A. has trains? Yeah, right, same. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I've lived there before. I know there's some magical subway downtown that I've heard about, but, like, there's a train that runs to L.A.? What? Um, that, that was my first reaction. So I think they might have built this thing just to like shoot Michael Bay movies in, you know, just (laughs) they needed a new place to like blow up cars and in tunnels and stuff like that. Um, But I don't know. I think uh, something like this and their ability to hold it. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to do some kind of like rapid fire testing and Mm, stuff like that to get people into this place and be able to sit by each other and, it's kind of like this exclusive thing that only rich people can do still at this point. And I think, uh, you know, all these award ceremonies and the Hollywood types are always concerned about, uh, you know, their image and they don't seem to understand over and over again that, you know, lavish, uh, type things when people are struggling are becoming an increasingly strange look. Mm. Um, it's like almost, Uh, Like what happened to like the Russian aristocracy, like before the Russian revolution, you know, like, like the pageantry, just you give it a rest when people are struggling, you know? Um, So, but I guess in the same vein, it's also something I'm not that concerned Mm. with. 
And I was also willing to accept something like sports because it's something I enjoy. And this is something that other people enjoy as mm. entertainment and the people who are going to be involved are well compensated and uh, eager to take those risks. So it's also just not my cup of tea, but <laughs> I think it comes off kind of snobby sometimes. So it's almost like starting a super league during a pandemic. I don't know. Just saying like, like <laughs> maybe similar. I don't know. No, I mean, it's, it's different. Anything you can do to mix it up and, and, and not just be like, like the same thing. I mean, ha- I mean, how many times have, can we see the same kind of ceremony? Like, uh, like the end of the bodyguard when like Whitney Houston is like accepting like like the whole thing like like stuff like that, uh, but yeah I mean it's it's uh, there's gonna be out an, an outdoor portion. Um, ironically though I think if you connect like the third eye here a little bit, Biden unveils the train thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. Oscar's at a train station. Oh yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah yeah Mr. Bill Amtrak. <laughs> And yeah, like whoever else who runs these industries are definitely getting lubed up. Maybe it's from uh, a Tesla super train or whatever. Maybe he's behind this. (laughs) Oh, man. I just got to keep boy. They Elon this week fucked me over. They had this whole big talk on 420. It was going to be Doge Day. We're going to one dollar. It went down by 10 cents. So thank you very much, Elon Musk. I still am proud to say. I've heard that about a thousand times and have not learned what it is. Oh, don't it, tell me now. Don't tell me now. Stuck. Keep my streak alive. <laughs> I like my streak. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. If you want to talk about Dogecoin with me, please, because it's a very small group of people in my life that I can talk about that with. Uh, if you want to talk about any of the things we talked about today, Super League, um, the New York Knicks, holler at us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Uh, if you want to fo- follow us on all the social platforms, get in contact with the show, the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. If, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz, one number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter, and number one fan of the Super League. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> Benny, you got a- anything else? Yeah, big ups again. Much respect. To the horseshoe crab if you see one of our dinosaur friends flipped over on the beach give him a flip okay it's good juju this has been the tune-up <laughs>